intro because last week was such a big week right you had the wild card round in the playoffs everything that went down you know I I think across the board in the six games my personal picks just on the money line straight up three and three looking like a complete disaster with the way things open because even though Cleveland was the minor favorite against Houston last week I think the way they were playing and despite the fact that C.J. Stroud's probably going to win the Rookie of the Year, and rightfully so, many people were comfortably rolling with the Cleveland Browns. I was one of them. And you heard in that intro package that I freshen up every week, just a complete rundown of Wild Card Week, Cleveland was never in the game. So you fall into that trap. We fell back in love with Joe Flacco. We fell... Back in love with what was the number one ranked defense in the NFL during the regular season. And at the end, it culminates with a 45-14 Houston Texans triumph as they move on in dominant fashion. Welcome to the latest edition of Sports Today with Peter J. A touch after 7 p.m. on the East Coast on this Friday, January 19th. And yeah, I mean, outside of that blowout in Cleveland, uh, in Houston with Cleveland, it was a good week. I mean, you had plenty of storylines going into the playoffs, as you usually do. Are we going to get the Mahomes-Allen rematch? Yes, we are. More on that in a bit. How's Dallas going to look at home with probably, you know, Dallas the last three years has 12 win seasons in each of those years. But you probably felt like going into this tournament that this was the most equipped Dallas team when it came to 
having the ability to run the table and win the and win the tournament and win the Super Bowl. And as we know, that didn't happen. So massive failures, and we'll talk about that as the show progresses. But I think the most impressive thing to me was how the Lions handled all of the hullabaloo and all of the pomp and circumstance around them hosting a home playoff game in the city of Detroit for a franchise that has not won a playoff game and going on 32 years. You had Jared Goff going against his old team in the Rams, coming with Matthew Stafford, who's a god in Detroit, now the quarterback in L.A. So the crossovers there and the parallels there were outstanding on both levels. And with that, you had an outstanding football game. And I think the world, if they hadn't realized it already, because he's had a pretty damn good career at the quarterback position. And I'm not talking about Matthew Stafford, who did a great job to get his Super Bowl with McVay in L.A. a couple of years ago. I'm talking about Jared Goff, and that's where I want to start today. If you hadn't paid attention after the week one victory over the defending champion, Kansas City Chiefs, after a couple of victories over a Minnesota team who was in contention for most of the season, really even after Kirk Cousins went down, if you weren't paying attention, that you probably had no idea how good this Detroit Lions team really, really is. Not only are they good, you saw last week how freaking tough this team is. That comes from coaching down. We've talked so many times on this program about how many teams, the Jets in the past, the Cleveland Browns, the Dallas Cowboys to a certain extent, Philly over the years, Washington lately with Rivera. And I guess you can put the Giants in that mix for all of these rumors we've heard lately circling around how Brian Dable um, treats his staff. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But we've talked about so much of the negative when it comes to coaching and how there's no chain of command that's followed. Perhaps with the New York Jets. We've harped on that over and over again, beating a dead horse about how they don't follow through, about there doesn't seem to be a clear-cut plan. Well, there is one in Detroit, and you know that now. Up against it, needing to move the chains late in that game last week, a first down seals the deal, and they call a pass play. And Goff hits St. Brown in stride as his lead dog. Detroit moves the chains, and that stadium, folks, if you were watching that game, it was probably as loud as you heard a National Football League stadium this season. You talk about a city that has been thirsting for Lions success, for NFL success. Go no further than the fans of the Detroit Lions. And oh, by the way, you've got fans in that building that are diehard Michigan Wolverine fans. That's a hell of a week for those guys. How many Michigan Wolverine hats did you see on that TV screen if you were watching the game? That's that's heaven on earth for those people. And this is coming from a guy who detests the Michigan Wolverine football program probably more than anyone on this planet. That's a hell of a run for those fans. And how can you not like Dan Campbell? Second tight end on the Giants throughout his career. Played for the Cowboys for a little bit. Good guy, likable guy. Does this guy know X's and O's? had about as rough of a first season as a head coach with Detroit, where a team that could barely scrap together wins and was winless throughout most of the campaign. 
And you're thinking it's going to be another historically bad stretch for Detroit. But what did they do? They build through the draft. They make logical trades that might take time to see the results. And I'm specifically referring to the golf move that brought him here and sent Stafford to L.A. And it probably wasn't an easy pill to swallow when Matthew Stafford then won a Super Bowl with the Rams. But when you stay the course and you stick to the plan, you now have the opportunity that the Detroit Lions have. They're four quarters away from playing for the NFC title game. That's huge. That is something that half a decade, a decade plus ago was unthinkable. And it's because of the system that is in place from the top down in Detroit, believing in one another and playing together. Jared Goff was magnificent in that game. 22 of 27, 277 yards and a touchdown, beyond efficient, moved the change. They were clutch on third down, and they kept the ball out of the Rams' hands when they need it because they were able to move the football. That's how you win football games, specifically when it comes to playoff time. And that's exactly what they did. This was a Detroit team that came in, you may, perhaps teetering a little bit, right? You had an you know, uneasy feeling. They get the heartbreaking loss to Dallas. What kind of team is going to show up when it matters most as they get set to actually host a playoff game? And you saw that. They're gritty. They're tough. They hit you in the mouth. And that team plays together, and they don't do dumb things with the football. I mean, you, you could be listening to this program as if you're a New York fan, an, an L.A. fan out on the West Coast, even a Niners or an Eagles fan. More on them in a little bit. Raise your hand if you'd like to have the care for the football that the Detroit Lions showed you last week. It's easy to say if you protect the quarterback, you'll be successful. It's easy to say if you protect the football, you'll be successful. Well, those are two things Detroit does as well as anyone, folks. And if you do those things well, you will win games. Teams like the New York Giants, the New York Jets, the Washington Commanders don't do those things, and they don't win football games. Look no further than the bad stretch down the end of the season that the Jacksonville Jaguars went through. Couldn't run the ball, couldn't protect, turning it over. No passing game and lazy defense. You're out. You know, I used the example of the Missouri football program and Eli Drinkwitz because I talk so much about them that you would think that I was a Missouri Tiger fan because they show the right way to build a college football program. In the National Football League, you can look at the Detroit Lions. Yes, the Detroit Lions as that example. Cleveland was a wonderful story this year especially what they went through at the quarterback position. At one point, they were down four starters on the offensive line. Kevin Stefanski did a masterful job with that team, and then they just got outplayed thoroughly by Houston this past weekend. They're a great story, but they are not Detroit. I don't know if the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl. They're damn well capable of it. But what you saw there is a team that is completely ready and up to the challenge of the opportunity that is now facing them. And I don't know from a football fan perspective if there's a fan base in a city that deserves it more than Detroit. And could you imagine being a Lions fan and a Michigan Wolverine fan if you had Michigan win the national title and then the Lions win the freaking Super Bowl in basically six weeks' time? I'd give my right arm for Notre Dame to win one national championship in football or basketball. 
you could have the right arm. Because the left arm, from a golf perspective, as a righty, is more important anyway. The right side just goes along for the ride. You can have it. If you guaranteed me Notre Dame was going to win a national championship, take it. And these fans in Detroit might get two in six weeks. That's pretty damn impressive. As far as Cleveland is concerned, hot pick, sexy pick, because of everything that's going on with 38-year-old Joe Flacco. He's the veteran that comes in, saves the day. Here comes the Brown train. Cleveland's going to get it done. The game starts, they never had a chance. The, the way C.J. Stroud has, had played in that game and the way he played coming into the contest, it would be a complete disaster and a failure on the part of the league if he's not rookie of the year. But to watch this kid develop on a week-to-week basis when the magnitude of each game increases tenfold, you got to win and you're in. On the road in Indianapolis, last game of the regular season, he gets it done. Granted with a little help late by a drop from the Colts, but he gets it done. Fast forward, Houston, no one saw this coming. They might have the head coach of the year in D'Amico Ryans. They should have the rookie of the year in C.J. Stroud. No one in in the world thought the Houston Texans would be hosting a playoff game this season. Not only did they host, they absolutely roasted the Cleveland Browns, who came in red hot. 45-14. to And what's funny about this game, if you didn't see it and you look at the metrics on it, outside of the score, pretty even down the line. 356 total yards for Houston, 324 for Cleveland. 280 passing for Houston, 268 passing for Cleveland. Time of possession was 10 minutes in favor of Cleveland. Houston, much like what the Lions had done down the stretch, don't do silly things with the football. They didn't turn it over. C.J. Stroud was stellar in the passing game. The running game, Devin Singletary was there when they needed it, and the defense backed him up. Now, I think one of the reasons outside of the enjoyment we've had watching Joe Flacco have this sort of renaissance in his, in his age 38 season after playing parts of the last few seasons with the Jets is the fact that we like to relive the past. Joe Flacco had the big arm, won the Super Bowl with the Ravens over the 49ers. But I think one of the other reasons that this Cleveland team was such a hot pick was because of its defense. Number one defense in the league across the board. Now, statistically, it doesn't look bad, but if you watch that game, outside of a really, really bad pick six that Joe Flacco threw in a spot where you just can't do it, the Cleveland defense, especially on the back end, had no answer for what Stroud and company were throwing at him. Nico Collins, it it was like they were playing 11 on 10, and they forgot about Nico Collins. And that is something that you didn't see from this Cleveland defense. Nico Collins was able to do whatever he wanted. Stroud, 16 of 21, 274, and three scores. I mean, that's not supposed to happen. Not that C.J. Stroud is not good. Not that Nico Collins hasn't developed nicely this season. That's not supposed to happen against a number one defense and a team that prides itself on winning football games defensively, especially when you have offensive deficiencies. But that is exactly what happened to the benefit of the Houston Texans as they move on. 
So that Lions performance and the Texans performance, at least in my opinion, were the two biggest of the weekend. You had six games, all with some level of intrigue. Now, I know I, my picks for the most part this year, straight down that money line, if you've been following and using them, they've been pretty damn good. But I went a 503 for three last week, and I was fairly confident that the Dallas Cowboys were going to get it done. They hadn't lost at home all season, barring a near defeat to Detroit in late December. I was comfortable, despite my sheer hatred for that franchise, in picking the Dallas Cowboys. If you listened to the show last week, you'll remember this. Green Bay, I think, is going to cover this game. I think it's close, but I think Dallas wins by less than a touchdown. I truly believe that. I think it's going to be a really good game. And by the skin of their teeth, and you'll have a couple of strokes in that audience in Dallas. But I think the Cowboys move on. Although I will say this. It's going to be hilarious if the Dallas Cowboys lose. It is going to be hilarious if the Dallas Cowboys lose. Let me say that a third time. It is going to be hilarious if the Dallas Cowboys lose. I'm laughing already. Now, those of you who listen to the program know how seriously I take this. But fandom is allowed. It should be there. As a lifelong New York Giant fan, and I have disagreements with friends all the time that despise the Philadelphia Eagles more, there is not a team on this earth that irks me, that bothers me, that can ruin a week for me more than the Dallas Cowboys. I'm a Yankee fan. My hatred for the, for the Dallas Cowboys is so strong that it almost makes it look as though I love the Boston Red Sox, if I can put it in those terms. I didn't think Dallas was going to lose last week. I told you it'd be high scoring. Two quarterbacks that could sling it with Prescott and Love coming into the game. I was confident that you'd hit that over and you did. You probably even could have swayed me because of Dallas's track record in the playoffs, as we now see, that maybe Green Bay wins the game by two, three points. I could have maybe been persuaded into that. But I did not see what happened in the game coming. I mean, you talk about how bad the Cleveland Browns were. Give me a worse performance at a worse time in a bigger spot than what the Dallas Cowboys rolled out there last week with a quarterback who was playing MVP-level football, and you could probably say outside of Lamar Jackson, who's my personal pick for the for the NFL uh, MVP this year, that Dak Prescott was the leader in the clubhouse. That might have not, and he got garbage stats late to throw over four, 400 yards. That 48-32 win for Green Bay, the game wasn't even that close, folks. That was probably the worst game Dak Prescott's played in his career. And if you're just a box score uh, freak, that won't come across. And yes, it was hilarious. The text message threads that I was in with my buddies and some guys that I used to work with who do this on a much higher level than I do were having a field day. Because things like that, you're going to have bad days. Absolutely. Absolutely, you're going to have bad days in pro sports, college sports, high school, junior high. It happens, right? It's unpredictable. If you are the Dallas Cowboys, three consecutive regular season campaigns of 12 wins, getting into the playoffs, 
losing in the wild card round two years ago, losing in the divisional round last year, what happened last weekend at home as the two seed in the NFC and the NFC East champion on a 12-win campaign loaded up offensively with C.D. Lamb playing the best football of his life, what happened cannot happen. Period. Stop. That's the bottom line. There was one part of me that it was it was halftime, and Dallas gets the late score to end the half that they desperately needed. And you're thinking, in game time, you've got 30 minutes left of football. With an offense like Dallas, down 20 at home, the game is not over. There was a part of me that thought that, and I'm sure some of you share that sentiment or had those feelings. And what does Green Bay do right out of the gates after Dallas gets a quick three to cut it to 17? They go right down their throat, run that football with Aaron Jones, who had three touchdowns on the night, and it's total domination. An awful pick six from Prescott. You heard it in the opening package, and it just wasn't Dallas's day. That's being polite. And despite the fact that I, like all of you, And football fans who follow it as close as we do, specifically Cowboy fans, know Jerry Jones is loyal, sometimes to a fault, when it comes to his head coaches. Look no further than Jason Garrett. I'll be honest with you. There was not one, for one second, did I think that Mike McCarthy was going to lose his job. Despite the postseason failures, you've got a wild card and a divisional loss, and now a second wild card round loss in the last three years after 36 regular season wins. I get it. I get the resentment right now from the fan base toward the franchise and Jerry Jones' decision-making, Stephen Jones' decision-making. I understand it. I get it. But with the track record with Jerry Jones, he will be loyal to his head coaches. Mike McCarthy's coming back. What What I think the issue, if you want to call it that now, as I, I jump ahead here because I want to stay on this Cowboy track, is the Cowboys are going to have a huge decision to make. And I, the one at the head coach spot is is done. They've made that decision. Mike McCarthy's coming back. The decision they're, ha- they're going to have to come to revolves around Dak Prescott. And this isn't a joke. Because you probably have, of three viable options, that teams generally will find themselves in with a marquee player who makes a ton of money and is a face of the franchise. And you have to make a decision. You're going to cut this guy. You're going to extend them with a pay or you're going to trade him. And that's where Dallas is. This is a crossroads with Mike McCarthy, not having to worry about that. And your head coach coming back. Dallas has some serious, serious meditating to do when it comes to number four. Because if you look ahead to next season, everybody thinks the Jets are going to have a problem with the financial hit Aaron Rodgers' contract is going to give them. Dak Prescott's contract hit is almost $60 million. $59.5 million next season. Conventional wisdom will tell you that he will probably get extended before the March 15th deadline. But this is something that the Cowboys should not take lightly. To have a quarterback in Dak Prescott, I'm not taking anything away from the talent 
that this guy has. You don't accidentally play MVP-level football all season. But the idea to potentially make this guy amongst or the highest-paid player in the NFL, if you extend him based off that 59.4 number, coming off of a terrible performance against Green Bay is going to be a tough pill to swallow for that fan base. Now, franchises and teams don't make decisions based on how the fan base feels. That would be insane. Fan, stem word, fanatic, right? That's what it comes down to. Fanatical. I'm one of them. Believe me, I get it. But the other thing that I don't see happening is what I've been reading about in the media lately And that's to potentially cut or trade Prescott before June. It alleviates cap headaches for Dallas, I suppose. But Dallas would still be on the hook for almost $40 million across the next two years if they did that. So you can roll into 2024 status quo. What do I think is going to happen? I think ultimately Prescott will get extended. But $60 million a year coming off a performance where you basically pissed away the season has got to irk. Jones, I mean, who's... It's his gospel, right? It's his Bible. He's the one writing it. He's the one signing the checks. You could see him seething on the sideline too, like the evil emperor from Star Wars, just stewing while the the collapse was happening. I mean, if you want to be totally honest, the game was over when Green Bay went up 20 to nothing. But the, 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 the problem now, the issue for Dallas moving forward is what they do at the quarterback position because they're going to have other guys that they have to pay. And if I'm Dallas, I would really look into how I can elevate my running game. Tony Tony Pollard's a nice player, but he's not giving them what prime Zeke Elliott gave him. And the fan base can be high on the guy. The proof is in the pudding. He's just not that guy. You look around the rest of that wild card after Dallas has collapsed. Kansas City, you know, I know I went with Miami last week. That was one of my losses. I... I I fell for it. I guess I fell into that trap of not believing in Kansas City because I forgot that for the past half decade plus, they possessed the best player on the planet in Patrick Mahomes. And Mahomes showed that. You didn't have to do too much last week. Threw the ball 41 times in that freezing cold weather. And by the way, the NFL and the New York governor, Kathy Hochul, moving the Buffalo-Pittsburgh game because of adverse weather, the weather in Kansas City was playing dangerous. Like, they should not have been playing football in negative 30-degree weather. And I get it. John Harbaugh line, football's a sport for tough men. I get it. Negative 30 is dangerous. And I was a little surprised that it was the Buffalo game that got moved because of snow, not necessarily the, the, the temperature, but the amount of snow, which they're used to up there in Orchard Park. I mean, they were paying volunteers to come and shovel it out, 20 bucks an hour. Yet they played, I mean, the, the field in Kansas City looked like it was, it, it collapsed into itself. It was a rock. The beard, the, the facial hair on Andy Reid was literally freezing. It looked like a woolly mammoth. 
So I was surprised that the league didn't strongly consider perhaps moving that game back. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that the stretch of weather in Kansas City was going to be violently cold as it is. Regardless of that, the Chiefs get the job done, and it sets up a date with Buffalo, who was simply too much on Monday afternoon for Pittsburgh. 21-7 at the half. Josh Allen efficient. Again, when Josh Allen protects the football, Buffalo's unbeatable. He likes to take chances. He's got a little Brett Favre in him. I get it. But when he protects the ball, I mean, look at the, we were talking about this Buffalo team about five weeks ago, about not even making the playoffs. Now they're the two seed and they ripped the AFC East away from Miami last game of the season. You got a for real team here, finally getting a crack at Kansas City in the playoffs at home. And then before we get into some news from around the league, and then I'll give you my divisional round picks. The Cowboy failure was a problem on many levels, right? It's it's systemic in Dallas. They continue to repeat the same problems. You probably could have made an argument they would go for a younger head coach if they moved on from Mike McCarthy. They have issues financially moving ahead, specifically with what I just said surrounding the future of Dak Prescott and the decisions there. But was there any more of a bomb out than what happened with the Philadelphia Eagles? I I can't think of a time recently where I've seen anything like this. Every franchise at some point in a season has gone through the ups and the downs. It happens all the time. You can start a season 6-0, 7-1, and then the wheels fall off. I've seen it happen with the Giants. But what happened this year with this Philadelphia Eagle team was not only shocking, I mean, it was just collectively bad football from the top down. Bad coaching, bad decision-making, laziness on both sides of the ball, and zero life on special teams. This is an Eagles team that was pounded all over the field in all three areas by a Tampa Bay Bucks team who, yes, has talent, but doesn't really do anything that should overly intimidate you. 32-9. to Philly goes to Tampa and Jits gets rolled. Folks, this was an Eagle team that was 5-0. First loss of the season, week six to the Jets. They reel off five after that to go 10-1. Then the wheels started really falling off. Exhausted. They host San Francisco week 13. Get pounded 42-19. That began a stretch of three straight losses and losses in six of seven tries, including the wild card game to Tampa Bay. Now, while Dallas has decisions to make with its future, specifically with Dak Prescott, Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Eagles, who took him to a Super Bowl a year ago and was a play away from probably winning the damn thing, had his exit interview with owner Jeffrey Lurie today, undoubtedly to discuss the collapse on both sides of the football and see what the future holds. Am I of the mindset that Sirianni deserves another crack to clean this mess up? Yes, I am. Is he going to get it? I have no idea. I think Nick Sirianni should be brought back. He's a strange guy. He's clearly a strange dude. Like, you can sit down and have a conversation with someone. If you sit down and have a conversation with Nick Sirianni, you're going to hear some things. You're going to see some stuff. I mean, you could just see it when you look at him. He's a weird dude. He's passionate. He seems to have the support of that sideline. I didn't read too much about the any infighting that took place. You know, Brian Dable and Joe Shane are going to get a chance to clean up the mess that was made with the Giants this season because they did a damn good job of holding things together. 
More on that in a little bit. I think Nick Sirianni deserves a chance to bring this back a year after coming off out of the Super Bowl. But you're also talking about an owner in Jeffrey Lurie who, because he couldn't come to an agreement about coaching staff with Doug Peterson, fired the only coach in Eagles history to win a Super Bowl. This on the heels of him probably hanging on to Andy Reid years ago, probably for two, three years too long. So it's tough to get a read on where this might go from the perspective of Jeffrey Lurie. If it's me, Sirianni gets another crack at it. Whether he retains his defensive coordinator, Sean Desai, you probably look elsewhere. I know Desai is going to get interviews. I believe he's interviewing for the Giants defensive coordinator position. The Leslie Frazier, to me, is a no-brainer to bring that guy on board. And this is a Philly team that let Baker Mayfield throw for 330 and three scores. Kate Otten, David Moore, Trey Palmer, and Mike Evans were all over the field. James Bradbury in that defensive secondary for Philly looked like he forgot how to play football. So, yes, it was a catastrophe, unthinkable two years, two, two months ago. If you would have said that the Eagles, forget about being out in the first round, would end the season losers of six of seven, including losses to a bad giant team and a horrendous Arizona team, and then just get rolled out of Tampa Bay. So, ch- changes are absolutely going to come in Philly. I don't know that just moving on from Sirianni would be the answer. I think you got to give this guy a chance to clean it up, even if it means bringing in a couple new coordinators. But you got a stubborn owner in there. So I guess we'll learn a lot more about that exit meeting going into the weekend and then probably into next week. Because these teams like to act quickly. The less you hear, the probably likelier that Nick Sirianni staying in town. I think that should be the way it goes. But who knows? It's going to be an interesting rest of the playoffs, and obviously more news will come outside of the games uh, that are being played on the field. I'm Sensei Felicia. I'm Sensei Mike Karim, and we are the owners and instructors of Dento Tekina, Judo Jiu-Jitsu, and MMA Dojo on Victory Boulevard in San Al, New York. If you're looking to improve or refocus your overall physical and mental health, Come join us on the mat, where we offer a variety of classes from ages four and up for all experience levels. Whether you're interested in self-defense, learning the traditional Japanese fighting methods of judo and jiu-jitsu, or taking our MMA conditioning courses, we have what you need to take your training methods to the next level. So come join us at Dento Tekina Judo Jiu-Jitsu and MMA Dojo on Staten Island. And speaking of speaking of having bad weeks, who do you think had a worse week? The Philadelphia Eagles or Alec Baldwin? See the guy got indicted today for the horrible shooting that took place on the set of his movie. Cowboys, Eagles, Alec Baldwin. Bad, bad, bad. Uh, so getting back into what's been taking place around the National Football League, Ravens inking Dalvin Cook to the playoff roster. They cut Melvin Gordon. So Dalvin Cook, after basically being a mirage in a jet uniform, gets picked up by a legitimate contender, and we'll see what what type of packaging he's he's used in um, for Baltimore, perhaps, uh, this weekend when they battle the Texans. Uh, right after that loss to the Packers, we told you that Mike McCarthy was coming back. I mean, this is a guy, 167 career wins, 11-11 in the postseason. He won a Super Bowl in Green Bay in 2011. It's hard to say that it hasn't been great in Big D, for Mike McCarthy, because he's got 36 wins over the last three years, made the postseason in three of his first four years 
with Dallas. Now we know he'll get a year five, but it's been underwhelming. So McCarthy's back. We talked everything going on with Prescott. Derrick Henry came out this week. Wants to play for a contender as free agency approaches. All eight of his seasons have been with the Tennessee Titans. He's as good as it gets at that running back position. Another good year on a bad Tennessee team that inexplicably hired head, uh, fired its head coach in Mike Brable. So Henry's going to play for a contender. Perhaps there's a reunion depending on where Mike Vrabel goes uh, if Derrick Henry wants to sign there. Eagles offensive lineman Jason Kelsey announces his plan to retire. Guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Six Six All-Pro first teams, seven Pro Bowlers, and he won Super Bowl 52 with Philly. Uh, so it looks like he's going to hang it up. Uh, Nick Sirianni has basically said as much uh, as is Kelsey. So it looks like Jason Kelsey's uh, probable Hall of Fame career uh, has come to a close. Jim Harbaugh interviews with the Chargers and the Falcons. And Bill Belichick had a second interview with Atlanta. It would lead you to believe that it is probably a done deal uh, if Belichick is able to get his way and put in the system and have the control that he wants, uh, as particular as he is. Atlanta's got the talent. They've got a defense. They have to figure out the quarterback position. Because I think many people would say it's fair to say that it's, it, is, it is probably not Desmond Ritter, at least from what we've seen, specifically as it relates to the turnovers. So if, if that is the marriage that happens between Belichick and Atlanta, there's talent there. He'll have the support of owner Arthur Blank. He'll be able to do whatever he wants to do in a city that has a passion for that football team and a brand new beautiful stadium. Many think it's an odd fit for Belichick in the Dome, a franchise that doesn't scream success without having won a Super Bowl. They've gotten there a couple times, should have beat the Patriots after going up 25 a couple of seasons ago. I don't dislike the fit. I think it'd be a good match. I think it'd be a, a needed change for both. And I think it do, does make sense. Now, Jim Harbaugh came out and asked for an interesting clause in his contract if he were to stay at Michigan. Does not want anything coming down on him that could cost him his job related to the two scandals that surrounded the Michigan program this past season. Sign stealing and otherwise. Harbaugh suspended twice. Three games a pop for those suspensions this year during Michigan's national title campaign. And he's added literature into his request that he not be removed of duties if further investigation shows more wrongdoing by Michigan. I mean, can you say you're guilty without saying you're guilty? I mean, I, you, you know my thoughts on that whole thing, how it went down with Michigan. And how the NCAA continues to handle things. And how you get bailouts from guys like Desmond Howard because he's an alum of the university. It just has them by the you-know-what to constantly defend them. Michigan got caught cheating twice and was handed no penalties. Now, is it going to be surprising if it comes down later that they stripped them of the title? No. We've seen that crap before, but who cares? There's not, I mean, there, you know how I feel. There's no accountability in the goddamn world anymore anyway. And especially in, in the NCAA. And now you have a coach who, I'm going to stay at Michigan, but if things go south, I don't want to be fired, even though I was the guy overseeing the whole damn thing. It's, I mean, this is, the, this is sick. This is the world we live in. And you know what? If, if the sanctions were able to come down and there, and there were dark and murky waters surrounding Michigan again, Harbaugh bailed to the NFL because they'll protect him there. 
It's a joke. You mentioned you talk about all these teams before the, the, the NCAA college football expands from four teams in the playoff to 12 next season. And talking about some of the teams that could have been in, some of the teams that just missed out, Georgia or Alabama getting in over some other teams, Oregon losing twice to Washington, but one of the best teams in the country this year, certainly the best offense behind Bo Nix. Michigan got caught cheating twice, and they were ranked the number one team. Now they go on to win the games, obviously, talented. You really want to put your foot down. You would have left Michigan out of the tournament, but nobody has courage anymore. Nobody, nobody's interested in doing the right thing. People say what they think is the right thing, but they never do it. But it's cool in sports and in life, right, to say, to say the things you think people want to hear. And then when it actually comes to implementing those things, you either see how ridiculous they are or you tuck your head between your legs and cower away. That's what the NCAA did with Michigan. Oh, we're going to suspend the coach three games. Oh, you got caught doing something else you shouldn't have been doing? Sending an assistant coach to other teams to get signs? Oh, we'll suspend them another three games. Cool. How about the teams that don't do any of this crap? Because I don't want to hear that every team does it. That's another load of bullshit. Not every team is out there doing things they shouldn't do. It's nonsense. Does everybody want to get an edge? Yes. If you can get an edge, sometimes you get away with it. Look in the NFL. There's holding on every single play. Anyone who's ever played offensive line who would tell you that there's not holding on any other play is a liar. There is holding on every single play in the trenches in the National Football League in college football, in high school. There's holding on every play. Does it always get cold? No. So you get away with it. But to have a coach in a hierarchy of coaching, right at the top of it, like him or lump him, in Jim Harbaugh, to twice get away with these things, and oh, by the way, still, for half the suspension, be able to sit up in the press box. Give me a break. Now he wants it in his contract. By the way, I want to be able to do dumb shit and not get in trouble for it. Hey, where do I sign for that? How do we get that? I want to go to work every day, teach with my feet on the desk, and have a cigar sticking out of my mouth. I don't want to get in trouble for it, though, boss. How would that go over? Not well. So when I read that, I just, it, it's amazing. Is it, a, is it, a, is it probably a, an understandable move in the head of Jim Harbaugh? Sure, he's trying to protect himself. But it's a filth look if something like this goes down. And Michigan would do that to make sure that they retain this guy. Okay, anyway, getting into the divisional round, you, this is, again, you've got some... Interesting matchups here again, although I don't think when you when you look from how where we were last week, no Dallas, no Cleveland, Miami's gone. I don't know how many people expected the Texans to be where they are now, but here we are. So I go three and three last week. I lost with picking Cleveland over Houston, Miami over KC, and Dallas over Green Bay. Let's start with the Houston-Baltimore game, 4.30 Eastern start, ABC, ESPN, Fubo will carry the coverage there. Look, C.J. Stroud's playing out of his mind. I think it would be disrespectful and irresponsible not to discuss further how well this rookie passer has been. That being said, and we saw that with Jordan Love, that he went on the road, C.J. Stroud's going to do the same thing for the first time in his career. It's never easy. Jordan Love made it look easier than most do when he went when he won in Dallas last week. This Baltimore defense is a different animal. At plus nine for Houston, I'm all over the cover. But I think Lamar Jackson, who right now, 
outside of maybe Josh Allen is the best player on the planet. He should win the MVP. If I had a vote, it, it's a no-brainer for me that I would give it to Lamar Jackson. I just think at home, Baltimore is too tough. The game's close. 27-21, something to that tune. I like Baltimore. For those of you putting it down on the on the DraftKings, FanDuel, whatever, MGM, whatever else, I think Houston at plus nine or plus nine and a half. I saw it at one point. I didn't check it today. I think you're comfortable there with the Texans. But Houston really hasn't seen a defense playing at the level of this Baltimore squad. And Lamar Jackson, he's gonna, he should win the MVP. This is just a Ravens team that is clicking. Even with the week off, I like Baltimore to move on. Where it gets interesting for me is your second Saturday game. The 8-15 Eastern start on Fox and Fubo. Green Bay plus nine and a half at San Francisco. After San Francisco pounded Philly in week 13, I think most of the people who follow the NFL thought that there might have been a changing of the guard when it comes to who's the Super Bowl favorite. Baltimore still wasn't getting enough love. Philly was the darling after that 10-1 start, and then they get smacked by San Fran. Granted, it was a tired Philly team, but we saw down the stretch, right? Philly went on to then lose six of seven, starting with that ass-kicking against the 49ers at the link. As much as I like this 49ers team, and Brock Purdy was was in the is in the consideration for league MVP, he should be. He's had a nice season. He's done what they need him to do: get the ball to the playmakers, get it to IU, get it to Debo, get it to Kittle, turn around and get it to CMC. He does all those things. Where I don't think you would see too much rust is with this San Francisco defense. But I do, despite the fact that Purdy has played great this season, there were instances a couple of weeks ago against Baltimore where he threw four picks. One really wasn't his fault, but four picks are four picks and a two-score loss. I have my doubts about this San Francisco team. And if you look at the track record the last two months for Jordan Love, He's right up there with what Jackson and Allen have done. Hence why Green Bay is here. If Jordan Love learned the last couple seasons from Aaron Rodgers, hasn't been a full-time starter in three years. Now here he is a game away from playing for the NFC Championship game. At nine and a half, I love the cover. But Green Bay, 30. San Francisco, 27. I think the love train continues. I thought a lot about this. Obviously, you have no shock at all as a monster favorite at home if San Francisco were to win this game. But I'm going to go with Green Bay in, yes, an upset, but maybe we could probably agree here that after what they did to Dallas, it might be a bit less of an upset. Now, San Francisco, as equipped, has good wins over very good teams this year, including the Eagles. You know, Dallas beat up on some lousy teams throughout the year. So it would probably be unfair to compare the two, especially since when Dallas played San Francisco, I believe it was week five, San Francisco wiped them off the face of the earth. This is a different San Fran team, but I like what LaFleur and company have going with Green Bay. He's got weapons in Dobbs and Reed. He can turn around and give the ball to Aaron Jones, who has been dynamic 
And the fact that he's been dynamic when it's needed most makes this feel more legitimate. Plus, they protect up front and push the pile. It's going to be close, but give me Green Bay by three. You got Tampa going to Detroit as a six and a half point dog. Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern, NBC Fubo. Tampa's domination of Philly was well noted. It would be foolish not to mention that again, especially the way Baker Mayfield, with a bad ankle injury, played in that game. But Detroit's been too good for too long. I was waxing poetically in my open about this Lions team. I love everything about them. It's a likable bunch. Amon Ross St. Brown, is. it doesn't get enough love as being one of the premier receivers in the league. The kid is that good. And the way Jared Goff has been delivering the football across the board, Matt Laporta, a young rookie tight end, 80 catches this season. That just doesn't happen at that position in, 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 in across the landscape of the league now. And he's been beyond the difference maker. For a team that had moved on from TJ Hawkinson to now have a Matt Laporta to go along with an Amon Ross St. Brown and a Josh Reynolds, the former Ram, there's beyond security blankets for Jared Goff. I think this will be a good game. Detroit at home once again. They take a step further going to the Super Bowl. Give me the Lions over Baker's Bucks, 28-24. I think it's a good one. Bucks cover. Lions win outright. Chiefs go to Buffalo. Look, game of the week, right? But maybe the game of the season. I think most people coming into the season thought we'd get this matchup probably in the AFC Championship game, however. But here we are. Bills, a two-and-a-half-point favorite, 6.30 Eastern start Sunday. CBS Paramount Plus will anchor the coverage. We know what we're getting from an X's and O perspective from both of these teams. What's interesting now, though, is Buffalo's going to get a shot at Kansas City in the playoffs, but up in Orchard Park. Now, the weather's not going to really factor in here because KC and Buffalo are used to these conditions. After all, it is basically February. This is the first road playoff game outside of a Super Bowl that Patrick Mahomes will play. It's pretty wild to think about, but that shows you how dominant Kansas City's been. Kansas City wins the game, they go to the AFC Championship for the sixth consecutive season. I mean, that is sheer domination. And just continuing, not just to win the AFC West, what they did for eight years straight or nine years straight, but the domination in the playoffs and beating good teams along the way. I said it before, when Josh Allen protects the football, it's one thing to take chances. It's another to do stupid things. When Allen protects the football, Buffalo is as unbeatable as unbeatable is. They've got the defense. They've run the ball weather better with James Cook. He's given them a reliable option that they really hadn't had the last couple of seasons. Stephon Diggs on the outside. You got two very good tight ends in Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid, the rookie from Utah. And oh, by the way, Josh Allen is super mobile. We saw that and you heard it in the open, the 52-yard scamper for a score last week when he was probably looking to go down, lowered the shoulder and realized no one was around him and he kept going. Basically sealing the game over a Pittsburgh team who just couldn't hang. Especially at the quarterback position with Mason Rudolph. This is going to be a great game. This will have that quintessential postseason feel to it. 
And I'm going to go Buffalo here. It's time to get that marquee victory over a team that's had your number. Buffalo's got them at home. That stadium is going to be rocking. There's more snow forecast in this area that's going to impact the Orchard Park area. And anybody who knows anything about the Bills fan, the Bills Mafia, they're insane. They live for these things. Beer sales alone for this game will be in the millions. I like Buffalo. They move on. AFC Championship game in a week's time, taking down Kansas City 27-24. So again, just as a recap, Houston covers, Baltimore wins the game. Green Bay, give me Green Bay in an upset over San Francisco 30-27. I like Detroit in a good one, 28-24 over Tampa. And then Kansas City falling, just falling to Buffalo as a two and a half point dog, 27-24. I think it's going to be a hell of a week. I think that's what you want, right? This is why we watch the games. This is the best time of the year as a football fan. And I think this sets us up perfectly for that semifinal round AFC title game, NFC title game next weekend. And of course, we will continue to break it down throughout each Friday at 7 p.m. right here on Sports Today with Peter J. With you every week. Sports Today with Peter J. You know, you get all this talk about college football with the season ending, now the NFL playoffs. There's so much other news taking place around the league. You get PGA Tour in full swing. Uh, Tiger Woods looking to make his comeback to the competition uh, February 15th at the Genesis. But how about college hoops? Right? Especially locally, where I live across the New York area, right? It's a national show, but it's got a New York flavor. St. John's and Seton Hall are having good seasons. Seton Hall's got some good marquee wins on its on its schedule to this point in the season. A couple of lopsided losses, but what what Shaheen Holloway's done with the Pirates and what Rick Patino's building uh, in Queens, it's been fun to watch. Nationally, I mean, UConn's back atop the pole, and this is Danny Hurley's uh, another year removed from the national title 15 and two they're equipped for another title run again because of the veteran core that he has and speaking of veteran teams i've been saying i know they've lost the last two but the houston cougars can flat out run with the best of them i love what kelvin sampson's built he believes in having that veteran leadership and the staying power of keeping the guys in school this Houston team, 14-2, and two, I mean, they can score and they defend. It's got an, They have an old-school feel to them, do the Cougars, um, and they've been fun to watch. I'll tell you a team who's really been on the rise the last couple of weeks, and that's North Carolina. I mean, it, it, seldom do you see a really bad Carolina team. They might sneak into the tournament as an 8 or a 9 seed, and then they go on a run. But this North Carolina team, with losses already to Connecticut, Villanova, and UConn, They've got good wins over Clemson, a pesky Pittsburgh team, a really good Oklahoma team, and they absolutely demolished Syracuse and Louisville. Two teams are in a rebuild of their own. This is a North Carolina team, 6-0 and in the ACC, 14-3 and overall, finally cracking the top five this year. I think they are national title good, especially if they're playing this brand of basketball on the defensive end. R.J. Davis has been great. Armando Bacot has been great. When you have that balance between Davis and Baycott, and then you throw in an Ingram, this is a team 
Brandon Ingram, this is a team that can play with anyone, and they continue to show why they should be uh, amongst those teams in the uh, ACC and beyond. I said uh, Brandon Ingram. I meant Harrison Ingram for North Carolina. It's a really, really good team, and there's going to be plenty to talk about this, especially when we get out of the NFL season, when we can start really getting into the nitty-gritty with the National Hockey League, the NBA, and men's hoops. But if you're lo- you're asking me right now, Connecticut, Carolina, Houston, and look, I Purdue number two in the polls, fifteen and two overall. Zach Eady, perhaps the best player in America. It's hard to totally. Though I do think this Purdue team is very, very good. Matt Painter has done a hell of a job in eighteen seasons at Purdue. It's hard to take Purdue seriously because of the postseason failures, and I'm not just talking about last year, losing to a sixteen as a one. We've seen it time and time again. There have been good runs, but it's never gotten to the point for Painter and Purdue where I think many of us thought it would be. That's not to say it won't this year with another veteran group led by Zach Eady. I mean, across the board, uh, wins over Gonzaga, who's really teetering right now. Gonzaga's fallen off. You would expect them to start getting it going, but this is you don't generally see a Gonzaga team in a swoon before February. It's just unthinkable. Tennessee's a good team. Purdue beat them. They beat Marquette when they were ranked number four in the country. They've got legitimate wins, but you've got to do it in March. And that's one of the things we hadn't seen from this Purdue team. You know, Arizona's got a good squad. I loved Arizona in the beginning of the year. I mean, they were rolling. 13-4 and is nothing to bat an eye out, but when you look at an Arizona team, they've dropped four of eight. Washington State beat them by three. Stanford beat them by 18. A tough loss in double overtime to FAU, who's another team that I really like. Dusty May's doing a hell of a job with that program. The Owls, a Final Four team a year ago. So there's plenty to talk about here. TCU's got a good squad. Jamie Dixon continues to win. McDermott and Creighton, they're doing a great job. Smart and Marquette. Iowa State is 13-3. and three. They've got big wins on their schedule. Texas Tech is back in the top 25, and Ole Miss is 15-1. and one. You can go all over the place with this, and that's the beauty of college hoops, and there's going to be plenty of time to do that, but if you haven't sat down and you're looking for teams to follow at night when there's no football on, maybe the wife or the husband has gone to bed and the kids are all tucked in, and you're looking for something to watch until baseball comes back, Men's college hoops right now, watch a UConn game. Watch a Houston game. Throw on a Tennessee game and check out this Memphis team as well. 15-2, and two, Penny Hardaway's doing a hell of a job. You want a really fun team to watch that might have some of that, that Midwestern swag? The Iowa State Cyclones are playing as well as anyone in America right now. And at 13-3, and three, they continue to move up the pole. This is a fun team to watch battle-tested, and tournament-ready. And they're going to get some big contests down the road against the likes of a Baylor and beyond. I mean, it's going to be a fun season, and we're not even through the month of January yet. So we've got the divisional round in the playoffs this weekend. It's going to be awesome. There's tons of college hoops on this weekend as well. And leading into the next week, you know how to subscribe. Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart, TuneIn, Google, all the works. The numbers continue to go up. The downloads continue to increase. I could not do it without the viewership and the listenership following on social media, sending messaging and subscribing on these platforms. It has wildly exceeded my expectations, and I have an absolute blast doing it. So we'll put a bow on this week's show. 
Enjoy the weekend of division round football. We got big picks on the way, and we're going to break everything down as we get into conference championship week and beyond before we get into the Super Bowl, which is going to be just, and by the way, I'm trying to get it in motion. Super Bowl Monday. Can we get on this? Can we get some political literature here? Super Bowl Monday needs to be a national holiday. I'll leave you with that, folks. Thanks. Sign up across the board. A big shout out to our sponsors, New York City's Dento Tekina, Judo Jiu-Jitsu, and MMA Dojo for carrying the load here in the sponsorship. Have a great week, everyone. Enjoy the game. I'll talk to you next week, same time, same place, right here on Sports Today with Peter J. And as always, go Irish. Listen to Sports Today with Peter J. Every Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. We'll see you there.